podcast focused on lessons learned via the musician's backstory, as well as building successful careers in the business. My name is Allison M., and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. Let's get down to business. All right. On today's show, we have Steve Tressler. Steve Tressler is a Seattle-based saxophonist, teaching artist, and composer. Downbeat Magazine calls his music beautifully crafted ensemble pieces, whether free, through through composed, or somewhere in between. His collaborations with renowned trumpeter Ingrid Jensen have been featured in the New York Times, Downbeat, and, and, and on NPR. Steve is the founder of Infinite Improvisation, offering creative music experiences in a variety of mediums in-person and virtual work workshops, instructional books, and digital courses. So welcome, Steve. Thanks for being here today. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, and Happy New Year. <laughs> happy New Year. As we're recording this, it is New Year's Eve 2020. And well, I think... cross your fingers, hoping the Groundhog Day <laughs> thing doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, man. And what a year it has been. So it's Ooh. great to, to close this out with you. It's been really fun to get to know you and see what you've been doing with your studio. I've I've been, um, you know, exposed to what you're doing before COVID, and and you've been doing a lot virtually uh, as a musician and as a teacher online. But man, when now with COVID, um, you know, had to double down on a lot of that. So um, I'd love to find out more. Uh, maybe just start with like how things have been going for you during COVID as a saxophonist, as a teacher. Well, yeah, it's been a it's been a wild it's been a wild ride. I mean, all in all, things. I mean, for what a traumatic year it is. But I mean, things have been going okay. I mean, I was able to, you know, there's a whole, I wear a lot of hats as a performer and recording artist and teacher. I do a lot of workshops. And of course, as we know, you know, all the live music, all these workshops, all these things were canceled. But I was able to really expand some of the, the remote teaching I was doing. So move my private studio online. That had always been a lot of the, the bread and butter of my, my business, teaching students. So I was able to get almost all of them online and kind of expand doing remote teaching and, and, you know, the world of online education is something I've been thinking about a lot and wanting to build more of. And now out of necessity, I really had to focus in that area. So it'd been kind of a long-term plan, but was never as, as urgent. Um, so getting that, you know, getting that going and, you know, we've all had to be flexible and, um, but yeah, I mean, luckily yeah, my family's been, been healthy and kind of keeping things going, but I mean, there's been some silver, there's been some silver linings. I mean, certainly um connecting with some new people you know there's been this cool community of music teachers you know get, we get to meet cool people like yourself like all the folks <laughs> the fawns and the yeah the virtual music group we have some uh music teacher groups in common and right yeah, i've gotten yeah to, gotten closer with some yeah folks i haven't met and met in in real life and you know embracing technology and producing some new music so there's you know, I'm, I'm trying to count the positives here because it's <laughs> it can be it can be hard sometimes, but be hard, been, but yeah, it's been. I mean, it's been tough, but yeah, it's been. Um, I've so far yeah adapted maybe better than I yeah <laughs> I thought I would initially when it was all going down and we we're all in panic mode. Yeah, what are some of the projects that have come out of this for you? Oh well, um, on the teaching side, as I said I had done a lot of. Uh, a lot of in-person workshops, particularly in jazz and improvisation for 
jazz ensembles, but also working with, I go into, you know, work with, you know, high school orchestras and help them improvise as a group and some things that they haven't maybe been exposed to before. And, you know, all that, all that got shut down, but I was looking at some of the, some of those experiences. There were some that, uh, I, I launched this, it was like a beginning blues improvisation course. It has a lot of call and response. Like I, I play, there's a lot of how I teach in person where, uh, yeah, a lot of call and response. I'll play something, have students play it back, do question answer phrases, and I got a lot of that element that I do live, and I was able to record that into a course that schools could use for remote learning, and that's been pretty pretty successful because there's a lot of these schools that are meeting and their bands and orchestras are meeting, but they can't play in sync because over Zoom, dealing with latency, ah. so it gave you know a project and something that some of these schools were able to were able to use. So that was a cool project, and that's like turning into a new yeah a new revenue stream and done the online course thing before uh and also what's been super exciting is i've started you know recording more from home I, I hadn't done much other than just sort of casual recordings for myself but contributing uh tracks to people's recordings recording saxophone but then also getting into producing music in a digital audio workstation so i've got some working on just some intro to some uh, sound design and virtual instruments and samples and i'm starting kind of a new project there and again something i've been curious about but it's out of necessity you know, trying to keep uh, finding things that are artistically rewarding to do when I can, mm -hmm. you know, play gigs with other people. So it's been right, right. We'll talk, collaborative yeah. stuff. So that's been, yeah, so that, that's been a fun adventure. Awesome. So you're definitely keeping busy and, yeah. and staying relevant and doing yeah. all the things that you need to do during this time, for yeah. sure. Oh. That's great. Congratulations on that. <laughs> I think a lot of people <laughs> yeah. are probably envious yeah. right now. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's it's been yeah. It's a tough time. Yeah, being flexible and kind of looking for new opportunities and just being like, I don't know. Finding, I mean, part of it is yeah, for me to stay stay sane. I kind of need something to, you know, so, something to work on or some right some sense of purpose. Yeah, and playing music. And, yeah, it's and it takes a lot of self motivation really to to make it work right now i mean would you say that that's kind of just your personality or or how do you just stay on top of all of this uh, well it's not i mean that's on my best days i get that stuff going i mean so just like <laughs> anyone else it can be you know hard to get out of bed or i'm just like watching netflix or trying to, i'm like okay i got to get my kid logged on to logged on to school so it's like just i get little i can get little bursts of motivation i've got to capitalize on those cuz it's not yeah i'm um yeah, I don't have the, yeah, who, who knows? Yeah, the motivation is not always there, but <laughs> trying, to get, <laughs> trying to get that going. And I mean, I've been thinking about it partly as I mean, I've spent my life as, a, as an improviser. And a lot of what we do is, you know, we put very narrow musical restrictions on ourselves. You know, we're going to only, you know, play within this set of notes or in this range. I mean, and that's, that's one thing that I do myself in teaching and workshops is putting in some narrow limitations you know, only play in this dynamics or this register or these people at this time. And then you try to make something happen within those limitations and just making that a practice. And then it turned out during COVID, well, the rules of life has changed. So now I have this new limitation. I have to support my family, <laughs> but I, I'm just going to be sitting in this chair instead of going doing things. I do. So it was like reframing the whole thing, kind of trying to look at, yeah, look at things from different perspectives. So that I didn't, I didn't really think that some of those, yeah, improvising skills would help out in life but in this in this case it was that very probably way of looking yeah, at things yeah. that definitely helped <laughs> rather than just being people are struggling more than our rigid like this is what i do this is what works this is what i've been doing and now everything's different 
mm-hmm. and I can't find a new way to look at the situation. I know. Yeah, a lot of that's people, well said. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, a lot yeah. of people struggling, and I mean, luckily, you know, a lot of my, you know, just support myself a lot has been on the teaching, the remote teaching thing has worked. But I know, yeah, some folks that were, you know, the bulk of their money is performing and touring artists and traveling or playing, you know, musicals and all this stuff that is just totally, totally shut down, and it is, yeah, yeah. it is super. And yeah, hard to what percentage of your work has been performance versus teaching? Oh. Good. I, I had, I sort of make the de- made the decision that you know the, the bills were paid you know through through teaching, but mostly lessons and then the workshops, and then the I, I kind of wanted to disconnect having to hustle to make the performances happen to pay the bills every month because then I ended up taking on I wanted to be a little bit more selective about the performances you know when I was playing sometimes hustling doing a lot of the working gigs week to week some of that I weren't that. And I wasn't that into doing, and I didn't really like being complacent and playing my horn. So I was like, okay, keep the amplify the te- the things of the teaching that I like, and then I can stick to the the projects that are more musically rewarding, or I get to travel somewhere cool, and being a little more selective about that. So when all the gigs dried up, just for how I had my thing set up, it didn't, it wasn't devastating. Right, right. So you were in a good place for that to yeah. to start with. So. It's good to hear. Um, so I'd, like, I'd love to find out how you kind of got started in music and, and why the saxophone. <laughs> yeah, so I started playing in, in public school, fifth grade band. Played, I was interested in saxophone. I think they didn't let you start on saxophone, so I played clarinet for a bit. But I remember, Mark, yeah. I remember in band, we got to try all the instruments. You know, back in the day when they just kind of wiped it off with some sanitizing spray right. and passed around <laughs> the instruments in the, bef- in the before times. Uh, yeah. yeah, just like blowing into the, I tried all the instrument and I blew into the clarinet. I, just, I remember like felt it resonate and vibrate. I got a sound right away. I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. And then I just got into playing. Uh, then, yeah, I saw some other, you know, other kids my age that were playing saxophone and were taking lessons and sounded good. And I was like, wow, they sound cool. I, I want to do that. And got into playing jazz band. And I mean, at that time, this was in the early 90s and the, or yeah, I guess early to mid 90s and the great, you know, I was listening to. I, my my hair was all 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 big, and I was wearing flannel shirts and listening to Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all the Seattle grunge bands. But then started oh, of into, course, yeah. And I was too I was too young to really be in all the show. I was still like, you know, in, in middle school and like wishing I could go to all those yeah go downtown to yeah. all those shows. But uh, but then yeah, then got into and really made the pivot to really getting into jazz. And it was yeah through playing a jazz band in, in school and just got um just got into it. And just like loved loved playing and um. Yeah, I had a lot of growth during that period, but I, yeah, I wasn't super disciplined about practicing, but I just played all the time. I just like jamming, like playing after dinner. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get my horn and, and play and just got into it and just kind of, yeah, evolved from there. Yeah, nice. And when did you decide that you were going to take it seriously, go into it professionally, uh, make that leap? Yes. Yeah, so I was really, you know, I was really into it early on in high school. But really thought it was off the table as an option because nearly every, you know, every adult in my life would say, well, you know, you don't want to be a professional musician because you'll die poor and lonely. So you should get a real job and play on evenings and weekends or in your spare time. And that's, you know, looking out for my best interest. But there's and so I was like, OK, well, and I thought that was just kind of the deal. But I started seeing people like my saxophone teacher, other teachers around that were freelancing. I was like, oh, they're playing, playing gigs and teaching lessons and they've got, you know, nice place to live and a girlfriend and was like, okay well he's, he's making it work and he's not famous and i started seeing people doing it but well it was one of these moments where i was in this 
I was in high school and I was in the Washington State. It was the All State Jazz Band, so like a select group. You know, you audition to get in this thing, and they grab people from all over the state. And it was my first time being in a group with people that were all really serious. And I got to be. You know, I went to a school that had a, a good music program, but I was kind of the. I got to be the you know big fish, the hotshot player. So now I was like filled with you know this all star band that was awesome. We had this great conductor. Her name's Ellen Rowe. She's still a professor at University of Michigan. Runs the jazz studies program there and. But yeah, we had lots of discussions in that group. And one time she said, so how many of you are pursuing music professionally? Like almost every single hand in the group went up. And I was, it was like, oh, well, they're all doing it. You know, if they can all do it, you know, I can do it too. I like raised, you know, like put up my hand. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing it. So it was uh, kind of a cool moment just to see, again, see the models like, oh, these are, you know, community of people. These are, you know, I'm one of these people. And if they're doing it, you know, I can, I can make the leap. Yeah, that's great. And were there any sort of teachers or role models that you had along the way that sort of inspired you to do so? Hmm. Yeah, there were my saxophone teacher grown up. His name's Bruce Wilson. He played a lot of the musicals at the Fifth Avenue Theater here in Seattle. And, you know, just sort of see him. If he was having those having those models of people who were doing it and had some conversations. Another, yeah, just a few other like freelance musicians who I'd taken lessons from. And I mean, it's pretty powerful to see the model. It's like, oh, that's what I want to do. And I didn't have huge aspirations when I started. It's like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be a jazz star and famous and go on tour. It's like, oh, if I can actually not have a day job and just like play and teach music and just have that be my life, like that's how I want to make it work. And so once I saw it was possible, I'm like, well, okay, I want to, knew it wasn't a, you know, it's never a guarantee, but I was like, okay, well, it's an option. So I kind of wanted to go for that because I've always wanted sort of valued the the freedom rather than the, the certainty of knowing exactly what my profession was going to look like so um. and once you saw it was possible what were the steps that you took that, that you took to get to that level like it it's one thing to see that it's possible mm-hmm. but it's another thing to realize it to to feel it to like it, it's a lot of hard work <laughs> to yeah. get to that point so i mean what was it like discovering what it actually took to become a working musician yeah it's so much that is on the on the job training i guess but yeah i went to i studied music at new england conservatory in boston so and yeah it was my saxophone teacher pushed me to do that he's like oh it was like i did not put the thought into it like i try to prepare some of my students who are looking at colleges you know it's the beginning of my senior year in the fall i was like hey so what are you doing for college and i was like i don't know probably gonna go to the university of washington that's a good music program he's like oh you should go to a music conservatory and i was like what's that like i never even <laughs> so right you know pre you know almost you know the the, the internet was barely you know the, the web didn't ha- you know there wasn't way there's was no social media there's no yeah i hadn't even heard hadn't yeah even heard of it like berkeley sent me a flyer in the mail i was like whoa this list like imagine yourself on stage i was like oh music and i started looking around and and then kind of, yeah, I just, you know, so I apply, applied to some of these music schools. And um, I mean, first and first thing I heard back right away was from Eastman. I got the small envelope that said, sorry, we're not going to offer you an audition. You know, you're not playing at the Eastman level. And then I was like, well. It, and, and then I had, I sort of made the miscalculation. I was like, well, if I can't get an audition at Eastman, I'm not going to get in anywhere else, let alone get a scholarship because we can't, you know, put the bill. So. Right, but I, started, yeah. but I was excited. I got scholarships at a couple other schools, including NEC. And I was like, well, I'll just go and play and do my thing. Maybe it'll work for grad school, but I'm not getting in or I'm not getting a scholarship. And I came in with songs that I was really like playing a lot and I really had fun playing, but I went in there with kind of nothing to lose. And I was mm-hmm. like super loose and relaxed. I mean, I still was like preparing a lot, but just thought, oh, well, 
rather than going in like, oh, I'm going to, I have to play really well. My future depends on it. So I just went in pretty loose and played well and it all, and it all worked out. Uh, but then from there, you know, I didn't have a lot of career things on my mind in school. I mean, it's a, that's, that can be a, yeah, being a young adult at a music school, it's going to be a tough, yeah, you know, tough time na- navigating all of that. But I was just kind of practicing and working on projects and, um, just kind of working on the working on the craft to the uh, best of my ability, and then didn't I didn't really think about any of the careers other than that I knew I had in the back of my mind that I wanted to come back to the Northwest and just kind of get started freelancing, um, and I kind of you know I had some connections here, some other teachers and musicians to help me get plugged in and get my first couple students and first couple gigs and. So you went straight into teaching after after graduating then? Yeah, I did. You know, and that's that's one of the things. Boy, it would have been cool to travel more, do you know, do the cruise ships thing or whatever. Yeah. But I kind <laughs> of knew that I wanted like a home base. I, I was I was never that drawn to just being on the road. That wasn't although, you know, I would like to travel more, but as far you know, I kind of wanted a home base to be sure. so I could work on and have enough flexibility and time built into my day so I could work on work on projects like uh, recording projects and, and I started yeah writing and instructional materials and, and all of that so and so yeah. in that way I mean that helped me build a lo- you know build a foundation and, and get my teaching and performance thing really set up here in, in Seattle but yeah I mean that's where most of my you know most of my friends went to New York and I didn't yeah. quite have the pull at that time but it's cool because now I can go back east and they're all still there you know I've got my <laughs> school, so I've got a pretty big network of folks on the east coast so I try to nice. go back and yeah still be still be plugged in and how did you i mean how did you get your studio started like what did it take for you at that time yeah getting the studio started so (laughs) i had you know i got a studio space you know it did help having a network having some some (laughs) folks that i knew so it was someone that i had worked in as youth jazz ensemble he kind of gave me a cheap rate at a music store just to get started you know i I rented a back room at one of these music stores that rented instruments and band and orchestra instruments sold guitars and, and that kind of thing some studios in the back and then i literally i printed out a little resume and some cards and i actually drove them to school like 50 schools because i knew if i was going to email somehow i knew that just emailing band teachers wasn't going to get a response so i actually went to the office and made sure they got in their box you know i'd be like oh is oh good you know mr so-and-so here okay just put this in the in the box and i dropped off like i don't know 50 or 70 of those i don't know why i didn't mail them I'm not sure, but well, smart. Uh, it's, yeah, so I did no, that went and, there. and dropped it off, and maybe I got one or two calls. Someone said, "Oh, you can come present at my school." Someone that had in school lessons just started handing out my cards. But yeah, so it was I don't know, I don't know how many <laughs> resumes and cards I put out there, and just a couple calls. But then you know I started building relationships with a couple couple band directors that you know oh we need someone to teach saxophone in the school, so I would do some in school lessons, you know, in some of the schools would have teachers come in and do lessons after school or during the day in the practice rooms. And, but then what was, was really helpful too is getting plugged in teaching at some summer programs, uh, like a band, band camp kind of thing. Cause then I was around a whole bunch of band teachers that would see me show up every day and build rapport with the kids. And that was actually helpful getting, then starting to get some referrals. Cause that's how it, that's how it really works in the, in this, in this area, at least, because people, when they're looking for a when they're looking for a teacher, you know, they ask 
people don't usually go to Craigslist first. They'll ask someone right. they trust, their band teacher, or they'll go to the music store. And then I wanted it. All it took was a couple people who were at, where I would be top of mind. It's like, oh, I'm looking for saxophone lessons. Like, oh, well, Steve's coming in. And I would need that referral. So that's, I mean, all my stuff has been word of mouth. It's been, you know, right. and 2003. I... I haven't done, besides those flyers, I haven't really done any advertising. It's just been all this network and word of mouth stuff for building the studio. Now, yeah. for some of the other projects I'm doing, I have to amplify the message a little bit more. But um, when it, yeah, it, it just, it all kind of comes back to this, this one. I started doing some work at this high school out here. And this one band teacher, and he started tell, you know, telling a couple other people. And I can kind of trace back my whole studio to just one or two leads and relationships that expanded from there. So I wasn't having to like, you know, putting up flyers at the the laundromat mm -hmm. and trying to call and hustle and, you know, and, and yeah, th there were some times where I would reach out to teachers or I would do things like find when out, find when their planning period was and maybe even just stop by then and, you know, drop off stuff and say, say hello. So a little bit of yeah stuff. and then from there i mean i didn't have a lot of experience doing it but yeah and parents you know once you find someone who's a good fit with their kid the parents start talking to each other but yeah mostly referral right yeah, mouth, this, yeah. but it started with one that first year i think that summer i came back i had one student and then a second student and then the first student quit and that the one student i had was just really into baseball and didn't want to be playing back <laughs> when his parents were forcing into like oh I, you know i'm not sure if i'm good at teaching because right. my sample size was one student who was not interested in playing and then you know <laughs> then over time right yeah, things were developing and then i started doing some of these workshops in schools and that helped uh that helps the word of mouth quite a bit yeah too. the word of mouth and just being it just being involved in the community you know if you're yeah. sitting in your room by yourself going why don't i have more students it's just so important just to be out there and be people see yes. you and know you and see you and and see you work and interact and then they're more likely Agreed. to build that trust and that for the I mean, for for playing too. I mean, for <laughs> for anything really, but exactly just, just being there, being to being top of mind, getting uh, to know people. Exactly, yeah. Would you do things differently if you were starting out as a private instructor now? Well, yeah. In the post-COVID world, I mean, everything's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> doing yeah, that. So right. If, uh, would I do? How would you start off if you were um, if you were beginning your studio right now? I just I just talked to a kid who just graduated from Oberlin's trying to do the same thing. And now it is I mean, if we're doing if we're still in the era of. I would still if, you know, best case scenario and we go back to being around each other, you know, people and like being able to breathe on each other, like in the before times, you know, then still right. just being plugged in to communities. You know, I mean, I tell people I mean, before covid, I'd be like, you know, find an area, you know, and this is one reason I like being in the Northwest are some well-funded music programs and teachers that value private lessons and coaching and they you know they're 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 well funded and have boosters so there's some budgets there so going out um it might not be some of the schools that have you know famous award winning bands but you can find some areas that need need the support and you know volunteer to do sectionals and not be like high pressure trying to pressure the kids into signing up for lessons just kind of be out and be known and getting getting plugged into the the community and finding 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 those some of those referral sources but now, if you're trying to get it started remotely, that's a whole nother, you know, right. it's like a traumatic time for the band experience, you know, and then it's just so crowded, everyone looking for, if you're just starting out, it's kind of hard to build. If you can't do it locally, it's really hard to do it online because then you start being, uh, you know, they're talking about, yeah, di digital media and content and trying to connect with people digitally. And that's if you have no experience doing it and haven't, and if you're not really focused on, you don't necessarily want to be a 
internet, you know, teacher personality <laughs> kind of thing and building the content and getting attention. So in, the, in that, yeah, because you almost, time, it's really, that is really hard. Now I actually don't I think thinking about, yeah. I mean, at that point I was telling this kids like, Hey, find some of these, pro I mean, it, it's really hard. I would like even volunteer. Hey, there's some of these band programs. They're having a tough time trying to run band online, you know, volunteer to do, you know, some breakout rooms or coach kids or, or do, do something still getting involved with other, with other people. Right. But, would you say like, I, you know, I felt a little bit pressured to do this myself because I want to stay connected to the students that I still work with because mm -hmm. um, I do some private lesson teaching still alongside the, the business that I have. And, um, and I, um, I've been doing things like reading storybooks online, you know, to, you know, my Facebook group of, you know, families that, that I work with. Um, just anything to kind of do something to engage with them, but like to do what you were just saying is like kind of be build your profile online as a music teacher. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe a little bit more so maybe working towards a social media star kind of thing. Like, yeah, yeah. do you feel like there's a little pressure to do that right now in order to stay on top of your game as an, an online teacher? Yeah, as I, I, there is some people go, oh, we're, you know, people had like a, you know, a full studio and then, oh, it's online. So suddenly I need to like buy Facebook ads and get students all over the world. But if you already had a local network and you want to stick with that, like, I mean, a lot of things that have been happening with any of my online teaching or courses, it's still just sort of through my, through my net, network of people that I already know. I'm not doing lots of just blasting and spamming people and, and, that, and that kind of thing. So, I mean, I definitely, in my case, I want to use technology to amplify, you know, have some more stuff that's pre-recorded doing these courses and a lot of that supplements what I'm doing, what I'm doing live. But I think it can still um, relate back to say the, yeah, just, just the relationships and network that you're, that you're already building. It doesn't have, you don't have to completely switch strategies if just because just we're online doesn't mean that everyone needs to take some kind of internet marketing approach right use some of the same the same strategies that had worked locally um, but True. if you want if you want to go you know be a, a virtual teacher who's teaching students all over the world and you've got people enrolled in your membership programs or whatever if that's the kind of thing that you want to build then yeah then we're talking about con content marketing and gen you know generating generating things that get attention and build trust over time with people all over the world like if that's the thing that you want to build then that's the direction you can go but it doesn't that's if you want to do this yeah and i'm kind of toying with that with some of the workshops i'm doing you know kind of with my new kind of new new projects that i'm running to take more of that approach to be able to reach reach uh broader areas because yeah so much of my stuff has been northwest centered right right yeah, and do you expect to, yeah, so are you planning to kind of use this momentum from COVID, from um, being online exclusively to, to gain more of a, a bigger studio? Yeah. So a broader I studio, I should say. Yeah. Uh, um, it's funny, momentum from COVID. It's almost like, well, I got some new skills now, but yeah, it's like weird. It's, I'm like it's, it's a strange way of putting it, but it's, it's yeah. you know, it's a real thing. There, yeah. There's some of that. Yeah, I'm actually looking at, yeah, amplifying some of these workshops that i'm doing because i really like doing um some of these guest artist things where i show up somewhere and do like a, a residency you know often at a university or a high school where i do you know do a bunch of workshops with the kids and perform and book gigs while i'm there and doing some traveling that way rather than old school 
touring. So mm-hmm. doing doing some some more of that. So I've been building up the workshop side of things. Like I'm not really trying to get my private studio any any bigger. I'm kind of have the number number of students that I can yeah give yeah. the attention to that they that they deserve. And um, yeah, so I mean, what the new new thing I have going on the on the education side since we're since we're there? Yeah. Is, uh, I'm taking a lot of these projects I've done. I've written a couple of instructional books, and I have these workshops, including one called the Game Symphony Workshop, where I take some some prompts and like improv theater games, uh, but adapt them for music, so we can get people in groups improvising. So it's not just people taking turns playing a solo and pointing at them and putting them on the spot. Like, how nice. can we create something together and using some novelty and some games just to break the ice and get people comfortable with being expressive and spontaneous and kind of turn that into a, a whole experience. Um, so I have all these different things, but I'm putting them under one, one umbrella. So I'm kind of launching this business called Infinite Improvisation, which is a lot of the projects I've been doing, but I have, uh, I'm just kind of putting it under one name, one brand, and over time. Then it can expand. It doesn't just have to be Steve and his workshops that it can hopefully turn into sure. a big, bigger movement music education. I can bring on other people as it makes sense. I mean, for now, it's still a solo solo project right. but that I wanted to kind of create something a little bit a little bit bigger than just me and my my studio. Um, That's so great. Diving in with that and it works. Yeah, again, designing this is a way that I can travel and bring this to different places. And uh, yeah, it's so I've been doing that over the over the years, so I'm, you know, b- building these programs and, um, and yeah. these are programs for any instrument. Any any are these also applicable for vocalists or um, what type oh, of person oh. would sign up for these? Yeah, absolutely. So I've done so. Yeah, so it's not. It doesn't require any standard instrumentation for you know specific <laughs> ensemble, but I often go and do these in in schools and work with their ensembles, the band or orchestra or choir. And, but it could be, I've done kind of like a retreat things too, where people, you know, show up, whatever your musical background is. Some people, you know, whether you read music or not, it's, it's a really great way to bring together people with various skill sets and experience and have it be hopefully engaging for everyone, even if people are at different, different technical levels. And let's see, there's, and then, yeah, I, I do some programs for specific, for like jazz ensembles too, more s- style specific. But a lot of these things, I had to use the term non-idiomatic before instead of, sometimes if you say free improvisation, people suddenly <laughs> imagine just very aggressive avant-garde jazz yeah. from the 60s that makes people uncomfortable. I love that <laughs> stuff too. So that, that's kind of why I went with the term some uh, infinite improvisation, where it feels more open. There's different different ways of approaching it. In my mind, a lot of it is some we do some more free approaches where people bring their their background their experiences you know what musical what music they have experience playing and bringing that all to the process rather than suddenly we have to deal with jazz rhythm and vocabulary and swing and I mean, that's that's one thing i right. teach as well but have it be a, a more more open experience nice cool and that that was was that already expected to be a project of yours before covid uh, it had, all of that had been in the works, but it was during COVID where I had the idea to like give it its own name, to spin it off as its own brand and its own company. I'd, I'd thought I'd thought about it, but that was kind of what the next step was going to be. That became more clear um, d- during the lockdown because I had been busy like running these kind of 
programs. I guess, yeah, my, what, my biggest first world COVID bummer, I guess, was, uh, yeah, in 2019, I, had, uh, I was invited. I mean, it was largely some of the attention I, I got from running these programs, but taught a summer program in Honolulu for the Hawaii Youth Symphonies. They were starting a mm-hmm. jazz summer. It was like a summer. It was like a festival orchestra camp kind of thing how can we all get that gig yeah Yeah, i know suddenly (laughs) i had everyone coming out the woodwork to be assistants but yeah it was a friend of mine from school he's from hawaii he was a bass player randy wong good friend of mine we we didn't even play that much music together in college we just kind of hung out in the dorms and walked around town you know it's just a old friend of mine from school but he ended up um yeah getting his master's at harvard education and he's the and he's the the president of the hawaii youth symphony now and yeah that's amazing he brought, brought me out to help yeah run the jazz program there and it was yeah it was super awesome so that and then that got you know i was supposed to go back in 2020 and that obviously didn't happen yeah. so that was a major go go back out but yeah it was a couple of weeks out there which was which was awesome but i was yeah i was leading a lot of these workshops now in this downtime during covid where i'm not doing a lot of this work in person i was like okay well how do i want to structure it that when i come back structuring it in a way that there'll be some digital components so people can you have the revenue stream from digital courses and but then also having a setup that when we can go back and keep the in-person stuff going so yeah 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 interesting and then i would you know just a couple more broad view questions for you so what are along the way what has been like the greatest lesson you've learned as a professional musician and teacher business person that Yeah, there's, there's a couple things. One is just really you know, embracing the, the journey and the process that like being that you're not just trying to like achieve or get to the next level. I mean, I, I got that from one of my, you know, one, one of my, one of my teachers who would say, I mean, even playing wise that he doesn't, Jerry Berganzi, one of my teachers at music school, just luminary saxophone player, but he even said that he didn't practice to get better. And that's his secret that he's addicted to the present tense. And just, it's just like, he calls it like yoga when you're playing. It's this spiritual, physical motion you know it's all going through your horn and just like nothing else he'd like to do more than just doing it and in the process became a world-class player but i think about i mean in anything that we're doing any of these projects that we're not just kind of sucking it up just to get to the to arrive you know to achieve the goal it's like the whole process is the thing kind of embracing that and then um you know finding the kind of things that are you know that it, it can be hard work but that you're invested enough in the process of actually doing it and not sweating the results as much. And, and then also that, yeah, so as, as we've been discussing, so much is about your network and the, the people that you meet and just connecting with people. So as you're an artist, being, being able to really be able to, being able to communicate and connect, connect with your fans or uh, as you're, you know, and all of your fellow musicians you're playing with. I mean, I'm, because a lot of, a lot of, Cool connections and opportunities it's just been from just through my network and people i've met along the way like i was saying my buddy and you know just buddy from buddy from yeah. music school and it, it turned you know as people advance in their careers I, I, that was one thing i didn't think about much when i was in music school hey here's all these people in the dorms well now and like a lot of them are often you know building awesome careers doing right doing amazing things and i was like boy i wish i'd even nurtured those really instead of stayed in touch with people more not just like what can they do for me later, but it just didn't. I, right, I, you know, we were no, young. It, I didn't. I didn't imagine us twenty, thirty years in the future with people doing like. That's <laughs> really, great advice, really though. Cool, really cool is, stuff. My buddy, yeah. you know, 
we're just having lunch in the, the dorms. And now my friend Ben's you know, playing bass in the Boston Symphony. And my friend Richie was touring with Herbie Hancock. And my friend Aoife's, O'Donovan's this fo- amazing folk singer all over the world. I mean, not, not everyone became like, you know, not like everyone right. wildly successful. But there was, or, you know, a friend of mine is a you know, professor is at different schools. And, you know, we still have the, con- you know, we still have this connection. I'm like, boy, I wish I had. I, I didn't really th- I didn't really think about that. Yeah, all of our all right. Of our That's a really good piece of advice. Is to you know to stay in touch with people. It's it's so much easier than ever to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, to note, I I like to tell people make sure you're not burning any bridges. Um, you know, along the way, try and always you know get through every gig as smooth as mm-hmm. possible. You never know when you might need that person again. Um, yeah, it's, absolutely. Yeah, and doing it when you're not expecting something in return. I mean, sometimes there's something strategic yes. and I'm like, who books this club? How can I meet this person? You're like sometimes here's a person I need to know for this purpose. But yeah, if, if you're coming off as like trying to, oh, this, you know, boy, Steve's really trying to get a gig or, you know, if you come off as being kind of always hustling or whatever, I mean, there's sometimes you need to ask for what you're, what you're looking for, but you build these relationships without knowing like what's, you don't know what's over the horizon. So you right. build, you, you, yeah, nurture the, re- nurture the relationships and then some cool, right, cool stuff happens that I wouldn't have, like, if I'd been like, my goal is to teach in Hawaii, what can I do to teach here and kind of start hustling it? Like, I mean, maybe it would have worked, but it's just, it was one of these things like, whoa, this opportunity, it seemed like, you know, seemingly came out of the blue, but it had to, you know, it, it was involved with, you know, dedicating some time to, to building this you know, this game symphony program and some staying in touch with people. And then, you know, the lightning, lightning was, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I love that. And I think, you know, how I might describe some of what you just said is like, just doing nice things for people without an agenda. It's just like, Mm -hmm. you know, just staying connected and and just doing, you know, befriending people, showing up for people when they need it without an an agenda. And odds are they're going to think of you when, when they need to, when, when you want it. Um, and, and it'll be a surprise, but it'll be a great surprise. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah and, and you can be stri- strategic about the kind of, like I'm trying to, I mean, it's just a good way to be a person, to be a, you know, a generous exactly. person. Exactly. I mean, this like, is just, yeah, just like a, as in your day to day life. Absolutely. But being strategic. And then I was trying to just hang around more people that are, we're doing the kind of things that maybe, I, I mean, as I was looking at expanding, things career-wise, I mean, through playing and teaching, like hanging out with people that are like launching their own projects and writing music, people that are making things happen happen and uh, initiating things or, you know, starting nonprofits. And I was like, just trying to be, be around people that do that. So it feels like, oh, these are, you know, so you can kind of, you can be selective about your network, not just who's, you know, who can do, you know, what can these people do for me? But it's like, okay, who's, you know, what the, what's the kind of person that I want to be? And can I hang out with people that are more, yeah. more like that? Um, and odds are you'll stay inspired that way. And yeah. you'll stay excited about what you're doing that way. Mm-hmm. For sure. Good. Yeah. And what would you recommend for people who are at the point of looking to be a professional musician right now or looking to be a, you know, full-time private instructor, mm-hmm. uh, workshop presenter, yeah. et cetera? Well, as even before COVID, I would say that this is a path that, you know, it is, it is possible. If it's something you're committed to the journey and like, and taking the leap, it is, it is possible, but it's not predictable. So it's not like, you know, if you want something that's a sure thing and going to work, you know, 
They're like, well, you know, a very, a very reliable way to earn a living. It's like, hey, we, we still need like nurses and truck drivers and plumbers. There's trades and you're like, you know, that's a very reliable, reliable way. But if you want to kind of go into the unknown, it's, it's, it's possible. But now more than ever in a post-COVID world, no one has any idea what the music industry is really going to look like. So you have to be really ready to, but there may still be a place for musicians. There's kind of, um, there'll be, there'll be new opportunities, but we don't know what they are yet. So if you're, if you're up for that, it's, it, it's, it's just like, um, I don't even know when like the real estate market crashed, all the people that were like, oh, I'm going to go into real estate because it's an easy thing to do. And it's like, oh, they're, they're like, forget about it. It's, it's, you know, the whole thing's decimated. I'm going to do something else. But the people that were really, you know, loved it and lived and breathed real estate, like, oh, we have this opportunity here after the whole thing came crashing down. Um, Stick it out. Yeah. yeah. And if you're really yeah, committed to the, the, the long haul. But yeah, it's a tough time. But yeah, as we talked about before, you know, really maintaining those relationships in your network. Uh, but yeah, I mean, now more than ever, you know, this idea that if you take care of the craft and get really good and practice hard, then the money will take care of itself. Uh, not sure if anyone really believes that anymore, but maybe <laughs> <laughs> they did when I was in school. You know, we didn't talk about business stuff. Hey, just get really good. We don't want the money to ruin the, ruin the music. So just, just practice and then, yeah, the career will take care of itself. So that, that is yeah. obviously uh, not at all, not at all true. But there's, there, is, there are ways to be in alignment with your art and earning a living in a way that doesn't feel like you're selling out or being slimy. Um, but it's definitely, yeah, takes, takes some flexibility and creativity and commitment to your, to your network and, and working hard and all that. So if you want to sign up for that, it's a possibility, but if you just like, Oh, I, you know, I like playing, you know, I like playing in band and it's kind of fun. So maybe I'll major in music because I'm good at it and it's kind of fun. And I don't know what else I'm going to do like that. Not gonna work. Uh, that yeah. is not that's not gonna work unless you find yeah. <laughs> unless you unless you find something else. So you're yeah. just kind of going along and just waiting for someone to, you know, give you instructions. Here's what you're gonna play, here's what you need to practice, and just kind of like just kind of passively going through it. It's it's really not gonna work. You really have to yeah, initiate initiate some things. For sure, for sure. And then um did you ever have a favorite gig that you've ever played along the way? Oh, yeah, one of my favorite. Well, this is maybe my most nerd. It's not favorite or most. I don't know. Most most important gig for sure. This was one one of my. Um, I've done a couple collaborations with uh, Ingrid Jensen, who's just a world class trumpet player, one of my favorite jazz artists, and I reached out to her several years back. This was kind of a cold call, but I was looking for. I wanted to. I would think about doing a project to kind of, you know, boost my performance career. Do something with you know someone who's. Uh, or well known, and you know, just with a gr with a great artist, uh, to yeah, for for the next recording project, and I reach out to her. We, we she'd played as a guest artist with a group that I played. We'd met before, but I'm sure she didn't remember me. But just kind of it's like a cold cold ask, you know. Mm -hmm. I ended up working out because she came to Seattle a lot, so we recorded and we hit it off and uh, played together well. And our kids are friends, and then we ended up nice. doing a collaborative project, like co led a, a tribute project for the great trumpeter and composer Kenny Wheeler who passed away back in 2014 or 2015 yeah 2014 and we did a collaborative project and we were going in the studio it's when her band was already in town on tour so we piggybacked on so I booked the studio and 
We had a couple concerts at the Royal Room. It's this venue in Seattle that is probably my favorite place to play. Wayne Horvitz, uh, pianist and composer, runs it, so it's very musician-friendly. They got a cool backline. They book eclectic music and wide range of stuff from songwriters to experimental music and jazz and weird stuff and blues and it's really always really interesting music happening so i booked the band for for a couple couple days but then we had uh we got we were contacted by npr's jazz night in america and they were interested like expanding beyond new york and they were interested in filming one of these shows for this this program so they sent so we went for but they sent the whole camera crew in this whole thing so it was like a live you know live it was on the radio show hosted by christian mcbride and they you know the videos up on on youtube but that day it was um what happened jeffrey keezer piano player you know, world-class jazz pianist was he ended up having to leave a day early so he only had one day in the studio and so what did we do we played a royal room gig late and then the next day we went to the studio ingrid and i we did the interview for npr we tracked the entire album and then we played the show at night for all the cameras and and it was just like a wild it was just a wild day and it was like kind of busy crazy chaotic day yeah and even at the beginning i could even hear my playing progress through the day so at first i was a little nervous and it was like oh i'm playing with all these you know i don't want to mess you know and it was i was a little more tentative and then throughout the day but by the end of the night it was like it was still kind of you know a little nerve right you know playing playing with some of my heroes and we're just you know doing it live and it's going to end up on youtube but (laughs) <laughs> but we had some moments that were great and there were some you know by the time we got i had you know some of my nervous jitters out in the studio and by the time we got to the, the show like okay let's you know let's do this let's go and let's go and play yeah it's like a it's almost like a i don't know coming of age moment in my 30s i guess just right yeah just, yep and it was uh yeah it, it was exhilarating but su- super memorable and frightening and <laughs> all of that at the same time so uh and sometimes it's nice to not have that extra room to think <laughs> to just yeah. think oh go 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 because yeah, yeah. the more time you have to think the more you realize what's yeah. happening <laughs> the mind is a terrible thing That's it really it can be. <laughs> yeah finding yeah. a way to focus and yeah getting yeah i mean that's that's a whole it's a whole other art to be able to you know know what to focus on to play at your best when it when it counts yeah yeah, that's something for sure for sure um i think i've got one more question here on my list for you and that's about the international sound painting ensemble can you tell me a little bit about that sure that has been a cool um really cool project to be part of um this is nice to do a, a recap on all my COVID lockdown highlights I'm like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> bringing it back yeah <laughs> yeah bringing back the you know the little yeah again trying to focus on the few yeah few little silver linings uh so sound painting is that something you've heard of before no sound not really it's it's a way of well so it's described as a sign language for live composition the guy the Walter Thompson who created it so what that really looks like is there's a sound painter like a conductor who's giving a series of signs and gestures that gives instructions for musicians about what to play like you play a long note you know whole group you know play quiet you can control elements of pitch and density and who's you know who's copying who and you know all all these all these sort of things and it was initially designed leafy invented it or you developed this at the 
uh, creative music studio in Woodstock, New York, kind of as a way to be able to have a group, you know, quote, free improvisation, but that didn't deteriorate into chaos immediately. So there's still mm -hmm. a little more, you've got someone in, in control. And I've been playing a group out here in Seattle that, that, that does this. So we just do live, you know, various mixed instrumentation, different people show up every time. The band's called Scrambler and we, we play different, yeah, different configurations and just do live improvised concerts. But I've found this to be a really helpful tool when I'm teaching. I use this a lot. So if I go to an orchestra and they've never improvised before, I can give some of these signs and people are playing together. So it actually works as a really nice in introduction into improvising and experimental music. Uh, but it's a multidisciplinary language. So each sign and gesture means something specific for musicians or visual artists or actors and dancers. And it started as this group, my friend Christian Pincock, who leads Scrambler. He's part of this sound painting geeks group on Facebook. But now more people are connecting online during COVID. He just had like a, la a lab ensemble that would we would meet. And it started to discuss different elements of the language and how can we work with visual artists better or what are different creative ways we can use the signs and people getting really deep into this language. And then he started yeah, doing some sessions and we're, do we're, doing, them, we're doing them over Zoom. So there's, there's latency, so some people go, you know, there's some of these low latency platforms I've been using, like Jamkazam, and you can <laughs> get the, uh, for, if you're playing regionally, you can actually play in sync with people without a perceptible delay, which is amazing. But we're nice. not doing that with sound painting, and there are people all over the world, so it's far enough away that those, those won't work so well. Anyway, but we know there's just a little bit of a delay, but we kind of build that into it, so we're not trying to play things that are rhythmically mm -hmm. really precise, so some of it ends up being pretty abstract anyway. That is so cool. But he'll even do things like conduct a tempo. And when we play and we'll record it, it'll be just out of phase and you're just going for that effect. But yeah, I'm working with, so we just did a, uh, a piece based on the Edgar Allan Poe short story, The, the Mask of the Red Death. Oh, fine. It's, it's, it's a, wow. a pandemic story. And we recorded, yeah. we did things with visuals. So we recorded different rooms from the story separately. This is the blue room. So we had, we used video filters and other, other things in our environment to to set that up and we had yeah we have this actors several people from argentina's actor and a visual artist and a cello player and this woman that plays clarinet in turkey and a violin player in belgium and we're all playing in like nearly real time on zoom recording <laughs> this stuff and we record our own parts locally and and put where it all together can people find some of these recordings oh yeah let me I will, I'll send you a link to put okay. in the, the notes to find. Be interesting to, to see. To find that, I'll put a link just to sound painting in general, then also the lab ensemble. I know that was a Facebook live event, so I'll send the, <clears throat> the link to that. Make sure I send you the right, the right stuff. So I'll give you that for the, for the notes. But yeah, now I'm doing this visual artist who's doing some amazing stuff with some live. Uh, her name's Mika. She's in uh, Argentina and does was doing some live visual stuff like things with lighting and she would use sculptures and filter in a way to do all these live visuals and i, I reached out to her some of my new electro acoustic project i've got the new i'm gonna do a series of collaborative um pieces with other with other musicians in 2021 kind of release one piece a month but i'm working with mika on doing she's putting together some amazing um vi visual stuff so yeah we hadn't we had only met through doing sound painting lab cool. stuff, but it's going to be a multimedia project for next year and yeah it's something something exciting yeah to keep keep going very fun and um is there anything else that we did not talk about that you would like to just oh. touch on let's let's see oh, i think we we hit we hit a lot of things i think we're yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're good you let me awesome. you let me talk 
talk a lot about all this stuff. So I think well, that's, that's yeah. okay. That's what this is for, you know, yeah. for people to learn and hear what others are doing and get some ideas. And uh, where can we find out more about you? Yeah, so you can find me. My, my website is stevetress.com, S-T-E-V-E-T-R-E-S.com. And then there's links there to, um, you know, if you want to hear, hear my music, it's on the, you know, a lot of the, the streaming platforms, Apple Music, Spotify, but and also link to uh, link to my Bandcamp site as well. That's the best way to, certainly, yeah, if you're listening to artist music and so supporting artists, best way to anyone interested in previewing or purchasing music. And then also the site infiniteimprovisation.com. It's a brand new, brand new website, but that has uh, information about all my educational projects, including that game symphony workshop and books and all that, all that kind of stuff. And then you um, submitted a piece of music for us to play yeah. uh, when this is over. So can you tell me just a little bit about that? Yeah. So this is from my last record. That's called, or it's an EP. It's called the Snowline Suite. It's a um, music it's a uh, that i recorded with my friend annie booth who's a piano player in denver so it was with her trio we did a little two city tour in in denver and seattle and we both wrote, wrote music for it. so this is all kind of mountain themed music uh it's a six movement six movement suite and so this piece is called it's called tectonics so i'll leave it at that excellent Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Yeah, Steve Tressler of Seattle, Washington. Thanks for being yeah. on the show today. Yeah, and, thanks so uh, much. Well, maybe in the you know when things get back to abnormal, yeah, you can come. You can come do a come make it out to the Northwest at some point. Absolutely, or come to Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, I've got. Oh, I can. That's one thing. That's one thing that I wanted to talk about. Actually, so my wife's from. Uh, she grew up in Elgin, Illinois, just outside of Chicago, and you know, ah. my, my time in the Midwest has been with her family. You know, out outside of Chicago. But yeah, we went into Milwaukee to meet some friends. But yeah, I, we were driving, visiting her family. And we had friends that were getting married uh, in the Twin Cities. So we drove all the way through Wisconsin, you know, and I'd never... And got the lay of the land a little bit. Got the lay of the land. I was like, whoa, getting, you know, high-end cheese curd at the gas station. And, <laughs> and then she, she couldn't believe that I'd never heard of puppy chow. So we had to stop at the store. I'm like, what is that? You know, and I, I think... Oh, man. I, I probably gained like seven pounds just driving through Wisconsin. I was like, oh, man. Yeah, yeah we're, was, we're uh, a little known for that. Yeah. Yeah. Was, <laughs> wow. That was... Uh, yeah. So I got us. Yeah. Hey, well, we've got a great music scene here, too. So, but thank you so much for doing yeah. this interview with us and letting us know what ha what's happening in your world. And uh, we'll look forward to following you after this. And um, I'll just mention that our featured patron for today is Megan Burnt of West Dallas, Wisconsin. Thank you for supporting what we do. And uh, I will talk to you all again soon.
Musicians Venture Podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again.